0: Welcome to Ask an Innovator, where we interview senior executives about innovation. You can find us at askininnovator.com or subscribe with your favorite podcast app. I'm your host, Josh Barker, CEO of City Innovation Labs. Welcome, Nicole. I'm really happy to have you on Ask an Innovator. We're going to be interviewing her about biomimicry. She's the managing director there.
1: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Awesome. So I'd love to get a little bit more background about you and biomimicry.
1: Yeah. So me and my intersection of biomimicry is really probably through the lens of sustainability is how I entered this world, this meme. And so I got into sustainability through my work at Mm overstock.com. I was the managing director of sourcing there. So it was really under my purview to make sure that all the products that we sourced, because at this time, so Overstock grew from, from Think a $10 million to an $800 million company in a matter of six years. So the growth was intense and, cr- and just essentially the business platform was taking excess market goods and then selling them on this online platform. And as the company grew, there was only so much excess goods in the market, right? So we started sourcing our own and creating our own private label. And so at that point, that's what I was really charged to lead. And so of course, social compliance was very much part of who are the manufacturers that you're working with, but that was like around 2002. And so that's right when kind of CSR started really surfacing as a thing, right? Like looking at um, social and environmental responsibility and what does that look like? And so it really fell onto my lap to be responsible for that. And so I really got into what does it look like to be socially and environmentally compliant and The thing that I think really probably opened my eyes is that I became just privy to the manufacturing process. Like, you know, what does it actually take to make a chair, to make a flat screen TV, to make a down comforter, you know, all these like things that we just kind of buy, you know, as consumers as like, oh, that's cool. Great. I need a new set of dishes. Let me go buy them. You know, whatever it is that, you know, we've, we've kind of bought into this consumerism society Actually seeing the environmental impacts of that was pretty, pretty hard ground truth for me. Um, And I think a lot of people in the sustainability space have had that experience, right? So I got really interested into how do we start solving for that? How do we make it less bad, right? Like, that's kind of the first step is, is how do we not make it so, so bad? And that's really how I started to intersect with kind of just the sustainability world and going to conferences like Sustainable Brands and Green Biz and really starting to understand, you know, what does CSR look like? And what I noticed over a period of time is that everyone that we were having conversations with was continually focusing on short term solutions or what I also call tailpipe solutions. So like after the fact, right? Like no one was saying like, Hey, let's not have plastic to begin with. That wasn't even at the table at that time. It barely is now, you know? So that's when I kind of started thinking about like, well, how do we innovate differently? And what does innovation look like when we actually take a step back and take a more holistic approach of innovation? Because I think so much of innovation has really been uh, historically, centered around what are the human needs that we're solving for, but when we do that in isolation of, but you know, what are the human needs, but at, at the sacrifice of what else? You know, like if at the sacrifice of the environment, of of social inequalities. You know, like there's a bigger picture here to just making a better product faster and cheaper, right? There, there's a better conversation to be had for the society that we want to be walking into in the future, and. I think that's what really inspired me to start looking into what are innovation strategies that are more holistic in their approach that are looking at, you know, life-centered design, life being, you know, more than just humans, but, you know, all, all the habitants on this planet that that we are cohabitating with, you know, <laughs> we should be thinking about that because yeah. there's value in, in that. And we're starting to really understand, you know, these the, the natural capital value and like all these sort of things just started really coalescing to help us now realize, oh, there is a better way to design. And so that's really kind of um, probably a much longer answer than you wanted, but really my intersection with, with biomimicry was, okay, this is a more holistic design approach that actually looks at nature as a reference point. And so our company name is biomimicry 3.8. And our name is 3.8 because there's 3.8 billion years of R&D in nature that we can lean into, right? Like nature has been solving for these challenges, you know, thermal regulation, water filtration, you know, all these things that, that, you know, we talk about as issues today, nature has some pretty cool design strategies to solve for that. And when I talk about biomimicry, particularly to businesses, what we talk about is, Looking to nature for solutions is a really incredible way to de-risk your innovation process because these strategies are already there and they give us essentially this incredible leg up to start to solving for um, that problem in a really holistic and life-friendly way. So that, that's kind of the summary of how I, how I got into biomimicry and, and why I feel it's most important in the sustainability and the innovation space that we are operating in today.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's great. So you, you basically were able to at Overstock.com using your kind of your background in CSR and sustainability, um, bring that over to biomimicry and uh, being able to help other organizations with that essentially to say, hey, how can we how can we be more responsible inhabitants of the world, right? And how can we do that in a way that supports innovation and, and business, but we can still use some of the, the concepts that have been going on for a really long time in our world. Is that would you say accurate?
1: Yeah, totally accurate. And I think to add to that, my background is not biology. It's very much in business and finding strategies that can move businesses towards more positive design. So really a lot of my work at the company is finding value in bringing biomimicry into initiatives that the companies are already working on. Sure. Because the thing is, is like what we tra- what we talk about is we don't want people to see biomimicry as like another thing you know to do, right? But really, as a vehicle to achieve the goals you already have. So if your goals are centered around the Sustainable Development Goals, if you have you know well building design goals, if you have goals towards positive impact, that positive, you know, what does that look like? Really, how does this become a vehicle for for achieving that? Because it it really is industry agnostic, and you can use biomimicry, whether for product design, facility design, s- systems design, you know, you can really use the these innovations, these strategies and natural patterns from biology to really inform um, a, a conversation around innovation and st- and sustainability in, in that space. So yeah, so, so really a lot of my role is finding the intersection uh, with companies and helping them find the business value based on the goals and objectives that they're trying to achieve.
0: That makes perfect sense. So it's not necessarily like, "Hey, let's do this separate th- initiative on the side." It's like, "No, no, no. Let's look at your initiatives and almost use this a- as a vehicle. Like it's they're embedded. They're part of the initiative, exactly. right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. that's good. So can you give some maybe an example or two of of what that looks like for an organization? Maybe a more tangible example.
1: Yeah, I'll give a couple cuz I think it's it's important to to kind of understand like the breadth yeah. of application. So, one example is I'll give a packaging example cuz packaging is really hot right now in terms of looking at new innovations. So, one of the first things that we do in our work is we break a company's challenge down to to function, right? So when we're talking about when a company comes to us and says, you know, we have too much plastic in our product, we need to design it better. Um, we want to reduce plastic out of our product. So then the first question we'd ask is, okay, well, what function is that plastic providing? Is it structural integrity? Is it maintaining... Liquids? Is it serving some sort of barrier? Is it for advertising? You know what function does it actually perform? Because function is really our bridge to the biology, and so once we understand that, you know, then that gives us a solution space. So, in the example of packaging, our client in this particular example uh, was Natura, which is a cosmetics company out of Brazil. They own the Body Shop, and they're kind of a large player in the cosmetics personal care game and very mindful about their environmental impact. And so they, this project was about eight years ago at this point. So they really wanted to look at the carbon impact of their packaging, understanding that, you know, shampoo, for example, you're largely shipping water. And, you know, what would it look like to actually reinvent what their packaging looked like with two primary goals, reducing carbon and reducing materials and so the function that we were solving for for this particular product was maintaining liquids so how does nature maintain liquids and we looked at all sorts of different organisms and and for example one of the ideation sessions really latched onto this concept of the citrus fruit so when you look at a citrus fruit you have packaging within packaging within packaging so you've got the pulp which holds the liquids the pulp is inside a section The section is inside the fruit, which is inside the rind. And so you've got this beautiful kind of packaging example that we can start to emulate. And what they landed on in terms of maintaining liquid, what they identified was the shape of those pulp, the way that they lay in the section, the, the shape of that enabled an incredible amount of liquid to be captured within that section. So the package itself was emulated based on the shape of the pulp so instead of like a, a round tubular bottle that you would expect this became a very short and i uh, think of like a teardrop almost or like a, you know a, a pulp of a fruit that's the shape that it actually took it actually emulated shape and b- by doing that they could lay a lot of the packages within a box with, that would then be shipped within a carton within a crate and so on and so forth so by just changing the shape of that bottle they were able to reduce the carbon of their distribution of that product by 50% just by simply emulating the the shape itself. But what's cool is like the wind didn't stop there, right? So when we look at, and this is why biomimicry is so cool because it's a holistic design. So we got that design strategy. But then what we also got when we looked at maintaining liquids, the other issue that was really important to the client was getting out the last drop. So, cause you know, the consumer, like one, that was one of their consumer feedbacks is, you know, we, we have the shampoo, but it's always annoying when there's like a little bit left in the bottle and you can't get it out. So the other component of that design was that the package would be. You you could essentially get out the last drop through this essentially squeeze like flattening the package, which like you normally you can't flatten a shampoo bottle, right? It's like almost like think of like a tube of toothpaste. Yeah, you know how like you roll it up and squeeze it out to the very last drop. Right, so that's essentially what you were what we were then able to do with the shampoo, the way that the packaging was designed. So it enabled to get out the last drop. It allowed for carbon reduction and it allowed for uh, reduction of materials, right? So even the, the plastic converted, it changed to a different type of plastic, but then it was also a reduced amount of plastic. So we essentially kind of solved for all these challenges by looking at all these strategies in nature in terms of how to get out the last drop, how to manage liquids, and looking at these organisms that that enabled that to happen.
0: That's awesome. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Looking to nature to solve problems that were already solved in nature to apply them to a business sense to solve business problems today. That's really very cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, and what's really fun about it is that in the process, like once you kind of kind of show people like, okay, here's how nature does thermal regulation. You know, we can look at polar bears and you start to kind of look at like these strategies and then like the the light bulb goes off where it's like, oh, right. Like, of course, mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah. nature has been doing this. Like it's so, it kind of becomes so obvious. It's like, right. Like, why isn't our first question? What would nature yeah. do? You know, because like the there's there's an abundance of answers and so it becomes i think particularly for teams that are problem solving you know once you give them a few ideas in terms of this is how nature solved it you know then the floodgates just start opening right we have we have this saying that we call you know quiet your cleverness because when we're in that solution space we always pull on human centered ideas right like we look at best practices we look at like oh how did you know someone else solve this problem? And we have just build from that. And when we bring to the solution space new ideas from nature, you're really kind of opening people up to an entirely new way of solving the problem. We've had ideation session teams come up with 100 new ideas that they've never even remotely touched before. So it's it's a really incredible tool for just even that, for just opening up the solution space.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I I think my innovation background, really, at City Innovation Labs, what we think of is all the time is really the currency of of any startup, if you're looking at a startup or an enterprise startup in a larger organization is, is learnings, right? How can you learn Mm, fast? And so it's cool to see you like go, hey, you know what, nature is our there already are learnings that nature has done for us. Let's look, look to something that already works, which is kind of cool. Like rather than saying, let's go try and reinvent something. It's like, no, no, no. Like this has been around for a while. Let's go in the past and take a look at how nature does things. So yeah, very cool.
1: Yeah. Um, so another example to kind of blow it up even bigger is, so we talk a lot about nature being a, a model, a, a mentor and a, a measure. So we can actually look to nature, we can emulate forms, we can emulate process, and we can emulate systems. So one of the projects that we're probably most excited about right now is this initiative called Project Positive. And this is really an effort. It's a collaborative of companies that are all kind of working on this initiative, moving towards positive. So moving away from doing less bad, or I should say moving beyond uh, doing less bad. And what does it look like to be positive? So actually providing positive impact to the communities in which they serve and operate. What does that look like? So often when you are talking to people about sustainability companies will have these like reduction goals. We're going to reduce our water consumption by 30%. We're going to reduce our carbon by X percent. Like they'll have these like reduction goals. And often those are based off of some kind of arbitrary goal of, you know, we just want to reduce it. And so we started asking the question of, well, what does it look like to be positive instead of doing less bad? What would it look like to actually be positive instead of like having reduction goals? How could we have positive impacts? And so, you know, what would nature do, right? It's looking to, well, how do ecosystems perform? And when we look at a system level when we look at ecosystems, they're delivering what's called ecosystem services. So these are the value that, that we as humans get for free from nature. So clean air, clean water things that nature is doing for us every day all day that we don't think about or even actually value into our kind of currency of, of of products and services but we can measure those we can say okay well this is how a forest is performing it's it's sequestering you know x amount of carbon it's filtering this many pollutants at this rate so we can actually start to quantify how ecosystems perform and we can use that as a benchmark of this is what positive looks like. So we did a, our first kind of pilot of this project with Interface, which is a carpet tile manufacturing company, super forward thinking in sustainability, probably one of the top leaders in sustainability. So they've been a longtime partner of ours. And so when they were looking to look, they were about to achieve their 2020 sustainability goals. And they essentially said, well, you know, what's next? And what we essentially landed on is, well, let's let's lean into this idea of moving beyond less bad and moving into positive. And let's look at your facilities and let's look at, you know, what would it look like for your factories to function like forests? And to produce ecosystem services like the forest next door, because that gives you a science-based target that is locally relevant. So instead of just saying we want our facilities to sequester X amount of carbon, we can say we want our facilities in Amsterdam to sequester this rate of carbon because that's what the forest next door is doing. So then you have a goal that is locally relevant and science-based and and data-driven and therefore gives you kind of something to work towards That's positive. So these are very much kind of aspirational goals. So it's kind of launched this whole initiative of that particular pilot was called Factory as a Forest. We've done Campus as a Forest. We've looked at projects that are also in the desert. So, you know, looking at like data centers that deliver, like, that perform as desert ecosystems. So there's a lot of ways that you can actually look at facilities that perform like healthy ecosystems. And we can actually quantify that performance, set performance goals, and actually those become the the targets in which companies are working towards to achieve positive impact and positive performance.
0: You mentioned data centers. Yeah, I've, I've been able to tour some large data centers, and I know that that's I like what you said with companies not just working towards being less bad, but being you know more positive, right? More on the positives because that's a, I think that's a huge trend I'm seeing in all of the data centers I'm touring. Is at Amazon, at Microsoft, at some of the big four, they're all looking at how do we be more positive. So that's a that's a pretty cool thing to think through: is not just do less bad, but let's let's be better than that.
1: Exactly. Well, because that's the point that we're at, right? Like, there's a pretty significant sense of urgency that we can't just keep operating at the rate we are. We can't be making these small incremental changes to help improve what we're doing. We need some pretty significant swings if we're really going to kind of change the the impacts that we're having on our ecosystem and our planet. And so this becomes, it becomes a really hopeful and possible way to talk about it, you know, because it's like, if we're talking about well, this is what nature does, right? Like we know what's happening right now. Like we know this ecosystem is healthy and that it's operating at this rate. And so why can't we be aiming for that, that same goal? And so I think that's another component of it is that instead of coming at it from this doom and gloom, when we come in and say, well, hey, here's how nature is solving for water filtration. It's like, oh, okay, great, there's a strategy that does exist that we can emulate versus right. this is too overwhelming, I'm not sure where to start, or, you know, we've lost hope, <laughs> whatever it may be. I think that's that's something that's so important right now is is coming at it, not only, of course, from the place of hope, but it's, of, of, it's possible. And look, here's an example, because that's so much of what people need uh, to kind of help them step in is just to, to see it's, it's possible.
0: Right, right. That's great. Now, what would you say that takeaway for anyone listening to this podcast? What would you say, like, if you could give one free piece of advice?
1: In oh gosh, in in what context? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Any, I'm gonna leave it really open ended to you, like, oh, in, wow. in all okay. your, all, yeah, all your learnings, all the all the things you've you've kind of thought through. I mean, could be something that's relevant to what we discussed, but what would what would be a takeaway?
1: Oh gosh, I think probably what I've learned. The most since coming and joining biomimicry and being part of this is just like the wonder and awe, like the amount that's happening. Like when you go for a walk in the forest, what's happening around you is just so mind blowing. And and I think we have just like a small scratch of the surface, right? Like if you pick up just a, a handful of dirt, you have 10,000 organisms, you know, in your hand, you know, when you think about that and and what they're all doing and, and working towards and like these incredible symbioses that are happening to like make our world function. So for me, I think what's been so inspiring is to take a step back and to really understand that one, that it's happening, you know, instead of just like going on a hike and trying to get to the top of the mountain as best I can to get a good workout in before my next meeting, you know, it's like really kind of taking a pause to like really recognize all the kind of phenomenon that's happening around us to really enable us as humans to thrive on this planet. And so just having more of that holistic understanding of how everything is connected, these small subtleties that we think are not relevant in terms of the consumer, the decisions that we make today, the products that you buy for dinner tonight as you're on your way home from work, actually have some sort of implication to the ecosystems in which they were harvested. And But I think just taking that pause and taking a beat to see how it's all intersected. And that is a kind of human operating and walking through this world. Like we hold so much power in the small decisions that we make in what we purchase. And I think that's what's, I think really become illuminated to me is one, the value of the ecosystems and these organisms that surround us. And two, how can I Make a difference in my everyday practices and and purchases to protect them.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think a lot of us too often just kind of go about our own lives without really thinking of the consequences or thinking of, of the things mm-hmm. that affect mm-hmm. right our decisions as we're doing. It, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just too easy to do that.
1: We're flying yeah. so fast. It, the the pace at which we're operating, it's like I. I mean, I have to believe my friends and I talk about this. Like we we have to be butting up against some sort of threshold because it's like, you know, you see this and we talk about this a lot, particularly in the field of sustainability, like burnout, you know, like people are operating at these paces that are just not sustainable. And so when you're flying that fast, we're missing so much. And I think what I'm seeing is we're missing what we actually have power to, to have influence over. And I think that's where it kind of becomes exciting again is like, if by taking that pause, you know, which is hard to do yeah. in today's society, but, but you know how it goes. It's like one person does it within your social circle and then the other person does it and you start to really recognize yes. that value of, of slowing down.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. The next section. I've got is a very good answer, by the way. This is going to be edited heavily. I don't know if I said that at the very beginning. so it's all makes sense. <laughs> okay. It might feel disjointed, but it'll all be smoothed out. So uh, the next section we've got is uh, the hot seat s- section. So I'm going to ask you okay. some random questions. Okay. Here we go. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. The innovation hot seat. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions, but number one, okay. what podcast do you subscribe to?
1: Oh my gosh! I subscribe to so many, and I have to figure out which ones to listen to. I listen to um, oh yeah Tim Ferriss. I listen to his. Me too. TED Radio Hour is another one I love because it synthesizes <laughs> uh, the content. And then what's the other one that's on my list? Well, I've been trying to learn French.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So I've been listening to French podcasts in terms of like a language learning podcast. So that's the other thing um, I, I listen to a lot right now.
0: Oh, awesome. So with that, is that just like, do they teach you how to speak French or do you just have to pick up on it as you're listening?
1: It's a little bit of both. They're teaching you words and and you're kind of having a conversation with um, this person on the other end. And then, of course you're you're listening as well. Oh okay. So so I guess I say that I put that in my podcast time. I like bucket my time, very type A. And so in my podcast time, a lot of what I'm listening to is is language.
0: Nice. awesome. and when when do you listen to the podcast normally?
1: So I walk to and from work. And so it's a 20-minute walk to and from. So I'll, I'll do one on the way there and, and then one on the way back. And sometimes it's a kind of a continuation of, of the one I listen to. Sometimes I get bored with it and I'll start another one. Are you sure? Uh, it just depends too. you know, if it's a long form or a short um, podcast. But, but yeah, that's typically how I do it. And
0: the number one on your list is ask an innovator. I know that for a fact.
1: Of course.
0: <laughs> right. Cool. All right. So the second question one person you would invite to dinner and why?
1: Oh, and can this be a person like throughout time or in current?
0: Oh yeah, throughout time. Yep, anyone.
1: This is such a good question. I think right now, given like the political environment, I would want to invite like one of our founding Fathers,
0: oh, there you go. Yeah,
1: to the dinner table to ask them, like, when they crafted these documents. I'm kind of cheating because I'm grouping them all as to one person. But if I had to choose right. one, you know, a person who was kind of important in the construction of our constitution and our historical documents, you know, to really ask them the intention and what they meant by it, because we're hundreds of years later, just kind of hung up on this. And yeah, I would. Yeah, I think so. Right now, like, I guess in today's political environment, that that would be a person I would be interested in wanting to understand the the intentions behind the word choices that they had.
0: Yeah, sure. clear it up. Get 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 what they meant on yeah. the table. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Cause I've even heard like, you know, that, that it's like these words weren't intended to live more than a hundred years. And, you know, that yeah. they thought that we would revise them and that it would be updated. So, you know, I've I've heard that. So I think that's kind of been top of mind lately given everything that's going on in our own kind of US politics. So so yeah, that's kind of intriguing me right now. Oh, for sure. How about you? Who's your person?
0: Oh, man, that's putting me on the spot here. You know, like, it what's funny, <laughs> as I said, I would answer him. But then I was like, oh, hopefully she doesn't remember I said that, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, honestly, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of Steve Jobs. I think that would oh, be pretty yeah. cool to sit down with Steve Jobs and, and have a conversation with him about where he saw, you know, because he passed away and, and we weren't able to see some of the innovations that... He even had on his mind, right? It'd be Mm, kind of interesting mm -hmm. to see what he thought, even sit him down and say, like, what do you think of the environment today? You know, what do you think the next innovations are? He's a very forerunner type person. So, um, yeah, I think that'd be kind of cool. Oh, most
1: definitely. Yeah, just to know what was on his mind, right? Like what he was thinking.
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, number three, one thing you would bring with you on a desert island, and it can't be a person.
1: Oh, this is so easy for me. Chapstick.
0: Oh, chapstick. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or sunblock. I think it was something like that.
0: One of the two. You wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. So your, your lips chap up. Yeah. You yeah, you'd die without your Yeah, It's
1: so important. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so important. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, I cheat with this one. I'm like, I, I don't know, like a life raft, you know, on a desert island or something, right? Oh, yeah, so. that's so
1: cheating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is cheating, I have to admit. Yeah, maybe, you know, if I wasn't cheating, maybe like a, a, a my Kindle, that but it had unlimited oh, charge and I could right. just read it. Yeah, and I had maybe I had internet access too, like I could buy new books and stuff. So that might be what I do. So.
1: Right. Because yeah. it has to be the endless supply, right? Like, cause it's not That's just one right. bottle of sunblock. It was like, like, I come with an endless supply of it. Like that has to yeah, be part endless of it. Supply,
0: <laughs> forever. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, at least
1: as long, as long as I'm stuck there.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay. Number four, what is the last book you've read?
1: Oh, like completed?
0: Uh, even just or like, what am I reading right now? Yeah. What are you reading right now? Let's go with that one.
1: Okay. Um, right now, I'm reading The Overstory, which is a really cool fiction book, which I very rarely read. I'm um, I normally don't read fiction books, but it's this really it's the New York Times bestseller. I'm sure your listeners have probably heard of it. But it's this incredible story, really founded on the. The kind of history that trees play throughout this lives. So, you kind of the beginning of the book is this narrative of these people's lives and the journey of their lives and, and the role that trees, a, a particular tree, has played in the unraveling or unfolding of their life. Hmm. So, it's really it's an incredibly uh, brilliant writer, and so it, it just flows very very seamlessly. And then the, the the second half of the book is really talking about trees and kind of really gets into the function and the biology and the importance and relevance that the trees play in our life, both in a a biological, but then even kind of a social and and even emotional. And you probably even argue some sort of kind of spiritual relationship as well. So that's what I'm reading right now. The book before that, that I finished was Scott Belsky, The Messy Middle, which I've read it like three times. Like I keep going back and back to it. It's like, it's a really good business Reference book for me, so I spent a lot of time on that one last year. <laughs> yeah, as I'm so. navigating a lot of growth for our company, he has this really cool graph in the beginning where it's like I have this brilliant idea, we're on a growth trajectory, and it's like, oh shit, now what? You know? it's like, yeah, right. You know, and and so he kind of talks about that space that no one like. It's so funny, you have the official narrative of companies like had this idea, got some funding, we got a great client, we grew, I sold the company, now I'm a billionaire, right? Like that's the story you get. It's like, well, it right. didn't quite happen that way, you know? <laughs> and so right. and, and that's a lot of what he talks about, is that those ups and downs and those those valleys and, you know, how do you get through them and what does that look like? And that's really relevant to the space that we're in as a company. Uh, this company was founded by two women uh, over 20 years ago. And hmm. it's so it's been around for a long time, but we're still very much on the forefront of the work that we do. And so, you know, what does it look like to kind of Uh, navigate the growth of a company that's been in existence for 20 years, but now going through a a kind of a a growth trajectory and getting through that. So, so yeah, so that was a really kind of important and helpful book for me that is a a recent read.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. What about you? What's yours? There's two, so there's two latest books that I've I've been reading. So I've lean startup in the enterprise. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I've re- read lean startup many times, but this is kind of a newer take on it of what corporate what it would look like for corporates to take on lean startup. And then there's also a book called Top Grading, which is basically how to hire and coach and keep a players. Mm. Um, So that's a very, it's a very thin book, but it's a, it's a good one. So those are, usually I'm a nonfiction kind of guy as well, you know, so every once in a while I'll read like a biography or something, but usually it's one of those types of books.
1: Nice. Oh, I'm writing top grading down. That's an, that's that's good. What's the book you gift the most?
0: Oh, lean startup by by far. Yeah. Lean yeah, by just because of the industry we're in, with you know my day job, so usually it's like lean startup or yeah, something with design thinking. We do I do a lot of Google design sprints. Oh if sure. You're familiar with that, yep. mm-hmm. so I give that book away a lot. How about you?
1: Well, gosh, the book I give the most is Janine Benyus, our founder, biomimicry inspired innovation inspired by nature. By far, it's the book I give out the most.
0: <laughs> oh sure, absolutely cool. All right, favorite place you've traveled and why?
1: Oh. <sighs> This is tough. So when I did sourcing, I traveled. I was so lucky to travel the world and go to some pretty far corners. Favorite place? This is not a good answer, but I I will answer your question, I promise. But I kind of love everywhere I go. I, I, I love culture and I love people. And so yep. I just love like one of my favorite things to do when I get someplace is to go to the grocery store. Yeah. Because you really get this, like you get this immediate, like deep dive into the life of that community or that culture, because you see like one, you know, just like the condition of the door that you're in and then two, like the products that they have and then who's there. And then anywhere I travel, I love just going to the grocery store. I also love food. So that's yes. a key part of it. Um, you're a road foodie. But yeah. Yes. So one of the places that I've traveled, and I haven't been there recently, but I used to go to when I would do sourcing is India. And um, mostly in Bangalore Mm -hmm. and Mumbai. And I remember really loving it because I remember how happy everybody was. Like no matter who you spoke to, they were incredibly happy. And the context, the environment in which they sometimes were living and operating in, isn't what you would expect someone happy to yeah. be, you know it, in, and it was just it was really it was really eye-opening for me to kind of see that. so that's that's one place for sure. I'm also going to be a little bit biased. I'm from Montana, and I feel so lucky to be from this incredible state. And so sometimes just traveling out my back door, yeah. And going to, so I'm, I'm from Montana, fifth generation. I've lived here a lot of my life, not all of my life, but most of it. And there are still so many pockets of the state that I haven't even seen. So another place to travel for me, another favorite is just exploring more of, of Montana.
0: Sure. That's good. Yeah. Those, uh, definitely, I've never been to India. I've, I've never been. And you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if I've ever been to Montana either. So man, I need to, I need to up my game you got to put that.
1: You do. You so do. No matter, like if you come in winter, you know, if you love winter recreation, it's incredible. If you recreate in the summer, it's incredible. Even if you don't recreate, it's incredible. You know, so it's just, I mean, probably fall is my favorite time. It's my favorite time, no matter where in the world, but fall is pretty epic here as a summer. So yeah. Nice. Add it to your list. For sure. sure.
0: Have to do that. Cool. Well, I'll tell you mine. And then that was the last question. So mine, oh, okay. mine is Israel. I liked uh, going, oh, I know. I So I went there for my, uh, the last part of my MBA. And, and that was, it was, a, it was a really interesting trip. I mean, there's just a ton, a ton of history there. It's just a ton. And then um, I'm a history buff. So that really interests me. But there's also, it's so interesting to see, there's a bunch of microclimates, and just really interesting things to see there. That's like in one side, I remember traveling for like all around Israel and there's like one side is like basically like a, a desert and then you travel to the other side and it's basically like a, an oasis with like palm trees and everything. It's like, it's a very interesting place. This uh, kind of a, all everything kind of converging at once, all these different microclimates all over the place. So, um, and I really, um, one thing I'll say is I really liked the olives there. They have amazing olives. Oh. Yes. So. Um,
1: all the food I can only imagine was incredible. Yes, it
0: was incredible. Absolutely. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, that, that was the interview. I really appreciate your time, Nicole. It's been great chatting today. Anything else you would add to this interview at all that's like, hey, I have one more thing I want to say?
1: Oh, well... I would definitely get outside yes. um, and then I would I would like really invite people to ask the question like next time they have a problem or they're sitting kind of thinking about an, an issue or something that they want to solve to, to uh, like actually pause and say, well, what would nature do? We have, I didn't say this, but we also have our sister organization is um, the Biomimicry Institute. That's our nonprofit entity mm-hmm. and there is a site called asknature.org and you can actually type in a question. What would nature do if I was looking at a particular issue? And there's a whole slew of strategies so that you can actually get a sense for how nature would solve that problem. So I would encourage people to do that. It's kind of a nice way to kind of dip your toe into looking at how nature solves some of the the problems around us. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I would, I would invite people to do that for I'm sure. I'm on
0: it right now. Definitely a very cool site. I appreciate it again, Nicole. Uh, Yeah, likewise.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Yeah,
0: it's been fun. So great meeting you. And uh, this is another Ask an Innovator. Really appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to Ask an Innovator. Visit us on our website, www.askaninnovator.com. This podcast has been sponsored by City Innovation Labs.